I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Story time. One of my many bored days out walking, broad daylight, about 17 years old. I was walking down a disused old road in the middle of nowhere in the Sonoran Desert, about a quarter mile from our house. My family had left for the day so I was totally alone. I was enjoying the rare, pleasant spring afternoon, so I stopped for a moment and then I heard several footsteps very close to me crunching on the gravel. I thought it was my imagination. So I walked a few more paces, then stopped suddenly. There it was again. Several steps then nothing. I waited for a long time, my heart racing now. This is brushland, 
It's all flat with low creosote bushes and cactus all around, no real place for anyone to hide, yet I heard those footsteps clear as day. I then suddenly sprinted a short distance and stopped, and there it was again. Fast steps, had to be closer than 30 yards, yet nothing visible all around me. If it was a person, they were camouflaged and hiding within view, but why? I did this two more times, and still each time I heard what sounded like a person shadowing me and stopping right after I stopped. I felt like I was being hunted and it chilled me in a way I never felt in my life. I got so freaked out I bolted, I ran back to our house at full speed, hyperventilating, grabbed my family's SKS rifle and spent the rest of the day on the roof, staring out into an endless sea of bushes and cactus. My friends and I are very much into off-roading slash camping. So, we are in Southern California, fairly close the Mexico border. We regularly take our trucks and jeeps deep into the desert for many camping trips. So this day we go to one of our usual spots, a turnout off the freeway which dead ends into a dirt road. The dirt road just dead ends into the desert and off we go. We drive probably 15 to 20 miles in. We have a standard day of off-roading, shooting, and various tomfoolery. We decide to make a camp as it's getting close to dark and clouds are moving in. Four jeeps, two on each side, back up to each other and we open up the tailgates and throw a tarp over them to create a makeshift shelter. Because it was starting to sprinkle now. We get a fire going to let the heat blow through camp and cook some food. It's now 2 a.m., we've done our fair share of drinking and bullshitting by this point and it is pouring rain. We heard what sounded like whistles coming from a nearby ridge so we walk around our makeshift camp but don't see anything. As I mentioned, we all brought our guns with us and half the guys I'm with are ex-special forces or army. Now on to crazy part. It's nearly 3 am and we hear a loud noises coming down the hill right behind our camp. All of us draw our guns considering it's 3 am, pouring rain, in the middle of the desert that's 20 miles from any road and about 60 miles from any city. Two guys come flying down the hill on horseback and a lot of yelling back and forth ensues. Guns are drawn on them while the yelling continues and as they get close one yells back don't shoot. Don't shoot. It's two guys on horses who said they saw our fire and wanted to ask if they could warm up for a minute before continuing to ride. As mentioned, we're not far from the border of Mexico and these two guys happen to be Mexican. One spoke average, broken English while the other did not speak any English at all. They also had guns on their hips but seemingly fairly nice and normal just looking to warm up. Now a few alarm bells are going off at this point. It's the middle of the night, pouring rain, middle of nowhere in the desert, 60 miles to the nearest town and two guys on horseback with guns find our camp. We have about seven people in our group, as mentioned, all of us armed with various rifles and pistols which we kept on our hips or slung over our shoulders. While standing around the fire, they begin to tell us they are training horse which is why they were out there so late and in the rain. Again, sketchy. Now one of my friends in the group is Mexican, however his father left at a young age and his mother didn't speak much Spanish so my friend speaks no Spanish. Now me, 
born and raised in Southern California speaks nearly fluent Spanish regardless of me being a white boy. The one horseback rider who didn't speak English keeps trying to start a conversation in Spanish with my friend who just smiles and nods along. The horseback rider says to my friend Kiris Cristal way? And my friend doesn't answer. So he repeats himself while opening the satchel on the side of his horse, Kiris Cristal way? My friend turns to me and says what is he asking? So I promptly tell him, he's offering you crystal meth. So now the two Spanish-speaking horseback riders who have guns on their hips, riding horses at 3 a.m., in the pouring rain, with a satchel full of meth seems to prove as sketchy as we thought. Upon my translation, the mood changes completely. The guy who only speaks Spanish pulls out a sat phone and starts making a phone call. All guns get drawn by everyone. Nine people are now aiming a variety of pistols and rifles at each other around the campfire screaming at one another. I yell at the guy in Spanish hang up the phone. Hang up the phone. With a pistol to his head. Realizing they were outnumbered, they holstered their guns and rode off very quickly back into the middle of the desert night. Needless to say, we packed up Camp ASAP and rode out of there before the assumed Mexican cartel backup arrived. I remember that day in Croatia like it was yesterday, although it's been years since that eerie reconnaissance mission on the deserted island. We were a Navy SEAL squad, sent on a classified operation to gather intel about maritime Navy activity in the region. Little did we know, we were about to stumble upon something that defied all logic and challenged our perception of reality. The island was rugged and desolate overgrown with thick vegetation and surrounded by an ominous mist that seemed to hang in the air like a shroud. Our mission was simple, infiltrate, gather intel, and exfiltrate without leaving a trace. Easy, or so we thought. As we trekked deeper into the heart of the island, we began to notice strange markings and symbols etched into the trees and rocks. They were unlike anything we had ever seen, and an unease began to settle over the team. We pressed on, our senses heightened, and our instincts on high alert. And then, we saw it. The creature, if you could even call it that, emerged from the dense foliage. It was a hulking mass of hair and muscle, standing nearly eight feet tall. Its overlong arms hung nearly to its feet, each finger ending in an eight-inch claw that jutted out like deadly talons. It was covered in a sheen of silver-like hair, and its feet, human-like but monstrous in size, left enormous imprints in the earth. But what truly rattled us to our core was its head. It resembled more that of a grizzly bear, with a shorter but deeply scarred snout. Those scars alluded to untold battles with beings even larger than itself, battles that it had somehow survived. Still, though, emanating through that horrific exterior were those piercing blue eyes, eyes that seemed to project a sense of ancient experience, as if they had witnessed the rise and fall of civilizations. Before any of us could react, the creature lunged at us, its claws outstretched and its teeth bared in a guttural growl. Panic set in, and we opened fire with a barrage of bullets. The deafening roar of our weapons filled the air as we poured rounds into the monstrosity before us. The creature held in pain but refused to fall. In a final desperate act, 
It turned and leapt with unnatural strength into the sea, disappearing beneath the surface without a trace. The water churned and frothed where it had been, but the creature was gone. We were left standing there, our weapons still trained on the water, our hearts pounding in our chests. The mission had been a success, we had retrieved the classified documents we came for. But as we made our way back to the extraction point, the weight of what we had witnessed began to sink in. Back on the extraction chopper, none of us spoke a word. The image of that creature, with its impossible anatomy and ancient eyes, was seared into our minds. We had faced countless dangers in our line of work, but this was something entirely different, something beyond our comprehension. As we returned to base, we couldn't help but wonder what we had stumbled upon that day. What was that creature, and where had it come from? We may never have answers to those questions, but one thing was for certain. The line between reality and the unknown had blurred that day on the deserted island in Croatia, and it left us all questioning the boundaries of what we thought we knew. I had been working at the Greywood National Park for 10 years. I loved my job and the serenity that the park offered. The sound of birds whispering and chirping about their day filled my head as I watched the sun rise over the mountains and turn the pink clouds into a brilliant orange. Also, I knew every inch of the park like the back of my hand. As a park ranger, I've seen and heard a lot of strange things over the years. Some of them are hard to explain, and others are downright spooky. But it's all part of the job, and I've learned to take it in stride. One of the strangest stories I've heard happened a few years ago. A group of hikers had gone missing in the woods, and we launched a massive search and rescue operation. We combed the forest for days, but we couldn't find any trace of them. It was like they had vanished into thin air. Then, a week later, one of the hikers stumbled out of the woods. He was disoriented and confused, and he kept muttering about how the forest had swallowed them up. We took him to the hospital, and he eventually recovered, but he never spoke about what had happened in the woods. Another odd occurrence happened when a group of campers reported seeing strange lights in the sky. They described them as bright orbs that seemed to move in a pattern. We investigated, but we couldn't find any evidence of a UFO or anything like that. But the campers were so convinced that they had seen something otherworldly that they refused to stay in the park any longer. However, there was one area that I always avoided, the Whispering Woods, a dense and dark part of the forest where people claimed to hear strange whispers at night. It was a patch of forest where the trees grew close together and tangled branches blocked out most of the light from the moon. The canopy was so thick that it housed a complete layer of epiphytes, plants that grow in trees but never touch the ground. In some places hanging vines stretched from tree to tree and gave a glimpse through the treetops, like ropes holding an invisible net up high. I hated to think about what might be lurking in the dark there. Some said it was ghosts whispering, while others said it was the restless spirits of trees that had been felled in a great storm many years ago. Whatever the case, I never went near it. One day, I was on my routine patrol in the drizzly, foggy forest. The musty scent of old leaves and damp soil leaked into the air as I brushed past the nameless trees. A low droning grew louder, and I spotted a silhouette through the mist. It took me several moments to adjust my vision and make out that it was an elk. 
Suddenly, I came across a group of terrified hikers. They were huddled together, their faces were pale, and their eyes wide with fear. They were trembling and clutching at each other, their bodies tense and braced as if expecting an attack. Their clothes were disheveled and streaked with dirt and sweat, and their breathing was shallow and rapid. They claimed that they had ventured into the whispering woods and had heard eerie voices, urging them to go deeper into the forest. The hikers had barely made it out, and their pale faces were enough for me to take their claims seriously. Officer, thank goodness you're here. We heard these strange voices in the woods, and we don't know what to do, he said, his voice quivering with fear. I nodded, trying to calm them down. Can you tell me more about the voices you heard? Another hiker, a woman with short, curly hair, spoke up. They were like whispers, you know? But they were so clear, and they seemed to be coming from all around us. We couldn't understand what they were saying, but it was like they were urging us to go deeper into the woods. I frowned, taking mental notes. Did you see anything unusual in the forest? The hikers shook their heads in unison. No, nothing. But the trees seemed to be closing in on us, and we felt like we were being watched, said another hiker, a young man with a backpack. I scanned the area, looking for any signs of danger. All right, just follow the path and leave the woods for now, I said and the group did so. As the sun began to set, I decided to investigate the woods and put an end to this mystery. I ventured into the forest with a flashlight and walkie-talkie in hand. The sun's light peeked through the canopy of trees, barely touching the ground and leaving everything in a deep shade. The shadows stretched out like tendrils, reaching into the distance. Mist loomed in the air, making the trees seem bigger and more imposing. The wind picked up, howling softly and rustling the leaves of the trees as if beckoning me forward. A strange stillness hung in the air as if something hidden waited in the shadows. In the distance, I heard faint whispers barely audible on the wind. As I was getting deeper, the air became colder and I tried to ignore the chill that ran down my spine. Then I stopped in the middle of a small clearing and started to listen. The place was bathed in a deep and eerie darkness, the moonlight filtering in through the canopy of trees. The shadows of the trees stretched out like tendrils, reaching deep into the darkness. The mist loomed in the air, making the trees seem bigger and more imposing. The ground was damp and muddy, littered with pine needles and fallen branches. A hush crept through the night air, interrupted only by the soft chirping of crickets and the occasional croak of a frog. The breeze rustled through the leaves of the surrounding trees and an owl hooted in the distance. Then I started hearing them. But they did not come from the forest, they were in my head. They were low, almost inaudible, yet highly unsettling. It's as if a thousand tiny voices were speaking at once, but all at once. Every syllable was whispered in an otherworldly tongue, full of unknown sounds and unfamiliar syllables. It felt like a cacophony of unearthly sounds that reverberated through my mind. Then I could make out a sentence. Go away. As I stood there, the ominous tone of the words sent an immediate shiver down my spine. It felt like someone or something was warning me of an impending danger, and my mind quickly processed the potential risks of staying in the area any longer. Without a moment's hesitation, I turned on my heels and ran away, out from the forest. 
adrenaline coursed through my veins, fueling my quick escape as every step felt like a matter of life or death. I could sense the presence of an unseen danger lurking in the shadows, and my heart raced with every passing moment. The dense underbrush and tangled branches seemed to conspire against me, but I pushed on, fighting my way through the obstacles in my path. My breathing became ragged, and my heart beat faster and louder as I ran for my life. Finally, I emerged from the forest, gasping for breath, and I realized that my whole body was trembling with fear. The warning had been too intense to ignore, and I was grateful that I had heeded it. I took a moment to collect myself and to calm my racing thoughts, trying to make sense of what had just happened in the depths of the foreboding forest. What the hell was it? I muttered to myself in the comforting safety of my car while driving home 20 miles away. When I returned home, no matter how hard I tried, the memory of the foreboding whispers still lingered in my mind. Those voices were enough to keep me awake late into the night, my thoughts filled with dread and confusion as to what had happened in the forest. I decided to research the area in an effort to uncover the source of the mysterious whispers. I scoured historic records and digital newspaper clippings, hoping to find some evidence of what could have been lurking in that forest. What I found were only reports of people hearing the whispers. Also, I did find news articles with evidence of disappearances and strange sightings, but I was not sure if they were relevant or not. The thing is, those reports were from different parts of the forest each year. I was looking for a pattern but there was nothing that could explain what had caused those whispers. Although I didn't discover any conclusive explanation for the phenomenon I heard in the forest that night, I could say with certainty that there was something strange lurking beneath its surface. I did not understand it yet. The next day, I was so scared that I called in sick to work. I needed a rest, to put myself together and process the events of the previous night. I looked out of the window. The sky was a deep shade of gray, with heavy clouds that blotted out the sun and concealed any hint of blue in their shadows. Rain poured down in sheets, puddles forming in low-lying areas and overflowing into the streets. The world outside was blurry and distorted, an endless landscape of gray and mist. The rain tapped heavily outside like a symphony of drums, creating a mesmerizing rhythm. The windows were blurred with droplets, creating a static soundtrack from the raindrops hitting the glass. The wind whipped through the trees and the thunder rumbled like waves crashing against the shore, and the lightning flashed briefly like an explosion of light. I reclined on my couch and listened to the raindrops but a few minutes later, I turned on the television. Soon, a report about a forest came up as the news of the day. Huge rocks, trees, and debris were strewn across the land. The force of the landslide had upturned the entire terrain, leaving a mangled mess that stretched for miles. Heavy boulders have come crashing down from the mountain and there is destruction everywhere. Huge cracks had formed in the ground and deep ravines had been created as far as the eye could see. Pools of muddy water reflected the dull sky, and a thick haze hung in the air. Then I realized it was the forest, where I had been working for years. The forest was completely destroyed by a landslide. Good morning. We begin this morning with a breaking news story. A massive landslide has struck Greywood National Park, causing extensive damage and destruction. The reporter said. People were walking around, 
carrying equipment and searching for survivors. The landslide occurred early this morning, and it has completely destroyed the park. There are no reported fatalities at this time, but many people are missing. The cause of the landslide is currently unknown, but officials say that recent heavy rainfall may have played a role. The park was a popular destination for hikers, nature enthusiasts, and tourists. It is estimated that millions of dollars in damage have been done to the park's infrastructure and facilities. This is a tragedy. The National Park Forest was a place of natural beauty, and now it's gone. I can't believe it, a local resident said to the reporter. Recovery efforts are underway, and emergency services are on the scene. However, the park is expected to remain closed for an indefinite period. Our thoughts are with those who have been affected by this disaster, the reporter finished his news report. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, and my jaw hung open in disbelief. Suddenly, everything clicked into place. The whispers were not meant to cause harm. They had been trying to warn us all this time. The forest seemed to know its death was coming. This is one of those experiences that I have that I've never really pre-told to anybody. It sounds like something out of a grade B horror movie, but it happened 68 years old retired Navy Commander David Fravor is now involved in civilian life. Having worked for decades as an aviator with the United States Navy and then later as a pilot for the USN Reserves, you may remember David Fravor as the guy who had led top-secret investigations of reports of unidentified flying objects. He has also achieved some notoriety back in December of 2017. He had spoken about his experience investigating a UFO while piloting an F-A-18 multi-role fighter stationed aboard the aircraft carrier USS Nimitz in 2004 off the coast of San Diego, California. What I'm about to tell you has me reliving the incident all over again because it's just too strange for words to adequately describe. What happened that day while we were tracking an unidentified object with my instruments but also unable to get a radar lock? I was baffled by what I was seeing on the radar. It had performance characteristics that were far beyond any known aircraft in the inventory of the United States or any foreign nation for that matter. So, I have absolutely no idea what it was. It didn't show up on my radar, and it was able to accelerate, get very quick bursts of speed beyond the normal limits of normal aircraft, and was also able to turn very sharp angles at speeds I could not believe. I can't begin to guess how fast it moved. It looked like one second it was there, and the next second it was gone. As I mentioned earlier, my interest in UFOs did not start till later in my career. I'd say with this incident, it was peaked somewhat. The command of the USS Nimitz is based out of Coronado, California, with at least one aircraft carrier assigned to the base on most days of the week. Commander Fravor's role as commanding officer for any given expedition would be to pilot the F-A-18, a multi-role fighter that can serve in various roles from air superiority or attack roles, and he has logged over 700 hours of flight time. Technically, Commander Fravor's rank during this incident would have been Lieutenant Commander, but for brevity, we'll just say 04. On November 14, 2004, USS Princeton oceanography expert Ray Keller had been tracking a mysterious object for over two weeks. 
He even called in the USS Nimitz to investigate what he was seeing with his own eyes, along with his instruments on board the ocean surveillance ship the USNS Observation Island. According to Commander Fravor's recollection of the events which began to unfold that day, he said this, I was on a routine training mission flying out to an aircraft carrier off Point Loma in San Diego when the oceanography officer asked if I could check something out with him. He wanted me to take a look at what his radar was showing. He said that there was something weird in the vicinity of the island San Clemente down here. It showed up about 45 miles away. He gave me a vector, and I found it immediately on my radar too. I couldn't make heads or tails of it on my display, so I thought, okay, I'll go take a look and see if I can make it out visually. It was around two to 3,000 feet above the water, heading roughly south. The thing, whatever it was, would turn very sharp and sort of come back on itself, the corkscrew turns. Eventually, we figured we'd never get a solid track on it, so we decided to make our way back towards the Nimitz. And as we got closer, my wingman made visual contact. He got within a few miles of the object, and I was probably four or five miles away from it. You could clearly see it, but what you could see was not like anything I'd seen before. The object was just hanging there in the air. We were at 25,000 feet, but I could clearly see the shape of it. It looked like a 45-degree angle cutout with a massive wingspan. It did not look like anything an airplane or anything I've ever seen before, flying over water with no navigational lights. As we were moving in on it, it just disappeared. That was the end of that. It was at this time, after he had returned to the Nimitz, when Commander Fravor's superiors began asking him what he had encountered and what his plans were to follow up on it. But taking into account what they knew about the object, they ordered him to take no further action. As I was leaving, the tactical data that we were getting about it began to disappear, so I thought this thing was moving very quickly away from me, which is why I wanted to get closer. But my superiors told me not to pursue. However, Commander Fravor's curiosity had been piqued. So when he got back to the Nimitz, he asked they pull up any information on what he had just seen. They brought into the ready room for all the data that they had collected by looking at it with infrared and radar, everything too, but there was nothing. It showed up in none of those displays. It was the shape of a 45-degree angle cut out, yet it had no propulsion system that we could see. There was no exhaust plume. According to Commander Fravor, by the time his superiors began to look into what he had encountered up close, Whatever it was they were looking at had suddenly vanished, and by the time they looked back, it was close enough to them that what he had seen with his own eyes could not be denied. As we were preparing to get into debriefing, I asked other pilots who had been on missions before, and none of them have ever heard anything about this. But as we entered the room, there it was on the projector, the data I had seen myself. All of a sudden, it showed up 10 miles out, 15 miles out, all these waypoints along the track, all at the exact same angle. The object would also perform maneuvers that no known aircraft could possibly do. According to Commander Fravor, one example included what he described as a vertical 180 in which the object changed course instantaneously and shot straight upwards, only to turn again and come right back down. 
It was almost like it knew we were watching it or it was moving away from us, I'm not sure, but that's what makes me think it had some kind of intelligence. The other pilots watching the events unfold became terrified by what they were seeing take place, according to Commander Fravor, who admits that he too was now terrified about what they might be facing. Everyone in the room got a chill. We knew there was something really bad flying around us. And while it may not have been obvious to Commander Fravor and the other pilots what had terrified them so much, decades later, we know what they were saying was something from beyond. Me and my brother Travis have been going out hunting together for as long as I can remember back when my pa, God rest his soul, he used to take us when we were little. He always told us how impressed he was because of how quickly we were able to catch on and learn about the area around us, and things we would notice like tracks, markings, sounds. It was great. We didn't actually start going hunting though with him until we were a little older, around 9 or 10, and we instantly fell in love with it. Our pa passed away from cancer when we were roughly about 17 and 16 respectively since my little brother is only about a year year and a half younger than I and it just quite hasn't been the same since. So to honor that me and my brother make it a ritual to try and go out together every year and hunt and keep it going. The family line depends on it. Our uncle has had some property that has been passed down for quite a few generations that mean my brother and pa have hunted on for ages. These past five years specifically though, we had been going to different places to hunt, and it just wasn't quite the same as our uncle's property. So this year we had decided we were going to go back to our uncle's and give it a go. We contacted him in Goff OK and we'd shown up there in the early morning. Luckily for us, there's several different tree stands set up all throughout my uncle's property. He's got about 80 plus acres of just deep woods, we are in Montana after all, and a really, really nice cabin-style house that we sometimes like to sleep in when we visit before we go out camping. Anyway, we knew this time at the usual tree stands we wanted to hit. We got there that early morning and got all geared up and ready to go. It was clear my brother was going to take a stand about a half mile away from the stand I was in. We were both going to go in about two to three miles deep into the woods to get to this one specific spot we both knew of. It was actually a pretty good clearing, and there are many bucks and does that were usually sighted here, so we knew this is the prime spot. We got all ready and headed out to the designated spots we needed to go. I wished my brother luck, and he did to me as well. I climbed up into my tree stand once I made it and sat there and I waited. Usually when I get to my tree stand, it's hard for me to not want to get totally relaxed and just be comfortable. I loved it. I loved it being out in nature and hunting, that's where I belong and I've always felt so at peace. The sunlight was barely breaking through, it couldn't have been any later than 5 or 6 in the morning. I don't remember exactly. I thought it was weird though that I didn't notice any wildlife really teeming in the area as we had made our hike back to these stands. I didn't think anything of it at the time, though. An hour had gone by and nothing. The woods were so unusually quiet and all the life in it was gone. I mean, there wasn't a sign of anything around. I thought it was so odd. It was a lot long after that that I started hearing weird noises coming through the woods. I couldn't really place the direction around me to where it was coming from, 
I just knew it was coming around me from close by. I just figured at first that it was a big buck finally coming to the area, since it sounded so heavy. I kept hearing brush crushing and twigs snapping. The only issue is the heavy thudding in footsteps I was hearing didn't sound like it was coming from a four-footed animal. It sounded like it was a heavy person, but it sounded way too heavy to be a person. I started to hear what I can only describe as booping-like noises and other strange sounds. I started to get nervous. The sounds began getting louder and louder, and as I looked under my tree stand to see if I could spot what it was, I locked eyes on it. Coming into the woods from the clearing not even 50 yards away from me was this giant, hairy man. I quickly ducked my head down to make sure it didn't see me, and every step it took was a deep thud, and I could hear it wheezing and breathing hard. I heard it walk its way towards me, and then as it approached my stand and got close, it slowed down. I was so terrified I wasn't sure what to do. I gripped my rifle tightly, praying I wouldn't have to use it in this confrontation because I knew I wouldn't make it standing out against this thing. It slowly passed underneath me and kept on going. I waited for it to be gone completely before I even moved a muscle, it felt like an eternity. I quickly opened the hatch and got down out of my stand, and by instinct, I ran to my brother's stand where I knew he'd be, only being half a mile away I knew it wouldn't be too far, and if I can get past the thing that walked right under my stand, I would probably be okay. The woods were still quiet, which made me so nervous because that means it was still in the area. I'm in it to my brother's stand in probably 10 minutes or even less, he was also as pale as a ghost. I explained to him what had happened, and he didn't really say much, he just said we needed to leave, and so we hightailed it out of there. I've been hunting for years and years and I've never seen anything or encountered anything like I did that morning. It wasn't until we got back to the truck that my brother was telling me he saw the same thing walking your history stand and that he doesn't believe this creature saw him or even meant any harm. He's probably right, but it's something that I don't want to have happen ever again. It honestly scared me to death, and I haven't been able to go back to my uncle's property and hunt since. My brother was able to get over it and move on, but he will never talk about it, and since then, we found other areas and places to hunt on. I think we've kind of just collectively decided to not go back, even if it is kind of an unspoken rule. Whatever is running around on my uncle's property, keep it far away from me. My story happened many years ago in Oregon. So, my buddies and I went fishing at Crane Prairie Reservoir. On the way home after a weekend of camping and fishing we're driving home down Highway 58 near Eugene. We're following behind our buddies in their Toyota pickup. We end up getting stuck behind a slower semi-truck. They're up ahead of the semi and my buddy and I were hoping to pass so we could catch up. I was riding shotgun just enjoying the ride. I'm looking at all the beautiful scenery, the trees, rivers, and mountains. Well, I started to notice how the semi-truck would pass a patch of small trees and the wind off of his trailer would practically blow the branches down to the side. As we entered long sweeping left turn the truck passed a small tree that was on the right side of the road, a small maple or something with big leaves. As the truck passed I was waiting to see how hard the wind would blow the tree sideways. Well, 
As the truck went by the tree blows sideways and they're squatting behind the tree is a Bigfoot. It's exposed and startled. It stands and turns 180 degrees and runs down into the forest. There are drainage systems along the road and it's running along it. I could only see it from the waist up. I could clearly make out his huge arms, giant thick chest, and its big head that was sort of pointy on top. It was covered in grayish hair and big. I could make out its facial features. It ran straight up and down like a sprinter with its arms pumping. It moved to a speed no man could ever reach. I've hunted and fished for many years and I could say without a doubt it could outrun any big game animal. It ran out of sight into the thick forest. I yelled out to my friend, did you just see that? But he didn't because he was driving and looking for a place to pass. We finally passed the truck and at the next pullout our buddies were parked and waiting for us. We pulled in and I flung open the door and tell my story. I was all amped up with adrenaline. My buddy then tells us a story about his uncle and a Bigfoot encounter. He says he believes me and wishes he could have seen it. It's something that I can't explain but it's something I experienced firsthand. I've always believed but after that day I know. There is a 900 plus acre farm, ranch that I hunt 10 to 15 minutes outside of Big Rapids, Michigan College Town about 25,000 residents. I've known for years about the existence of Sasquatch. I have been an avid archery hunter for years and love spending hours in the woods, scouting and setting up new stands to hunt in the fall. On occasions my sixth sense would go into overdrive while out scouting certain sections of this property. I would dismiss it as an overactive imagination and carry on with my mission. Multiple times while on stand I would hear loud tree knocks from various points that surrounded me. I never thought too much into them as I would just dismiss those as natural sounds due to limbs clanking, banging, or busting. I would also notice rank and stagnant odors that would overwhelm my area from time to time. Again. I'd also dismiss these foul smells as possible black bear odors as I've heard they stink and are quite abundant in our area. On one occasion, while walking into my stand, I heard what sounded like a rock skipping through the treetops, hitting up high and falling to the ground. I glanced in the general direction of the sound and didn't see anything. As I continued walking I heard the same sound again. That this time it was closer and as I looked towards the sound I caught the movement of a 2 to 3 inch diameter rock falling out of the tree in which it had just impacted. I walked up to the rock, picked it up and stared up the tree, saying to myself what the hell are the squirrels carrying these big rocks up the trees. You see the pattern here. Weird happens and I dismiss it as I'm 45 years young and don't want to believe I have to deal with a Sasquatch or any other paranormal entity on the land on which I hunt. But the last incident finally got my attention and I now acknowledge the fact that I could possibly be dealing with one of these beings. My son and I were heading out of the woods in a well-lit full moon night about an hour after dark. No flashlights needed. We had a one-half mile walk back to our vehicle up this easily traversable stretch bottom that laid at the foot of large rolling hardwood hills and deep cutting ravines that extended to the creek's edge. We had sat pretty close in proximity to one another and had met up at dark to walk out together. Keep in mind that this is the same area that I've experienced tree knocks, rocks being thrown, 
and smells that could curl your toenails. We had covered the half-mile hike back to our origins and were now standing outside of our vehicle offloading our gear into the back seat. I reached into the car and fired the engine while still standing outside of it as to shed some ambient light on our surrounding. I turned my back to the car it was in the process of evacuating my bladder when I heard what I thought was my son cranking the radio up in the car as loud as he could. I wheeled my head over to my over my shoulders to look at him and when I did I locked eyes with my son who stood on the other side of the car. I saw the fear in his eyes as he stood with his jaw open wide. He had not entered the car and turned up the radio. It was a scream, yell that had radiated from the bottom of which we had just exited minutes before. The loud bellowing lasted 10 or 15 seconds and was as loud as any music concert I've ever attended. Keep in mind, I'm 6 foot, 230 pounds. My son's 6 foot 2 and about 260. We're both armed with bows and knives and I had a 45XDS Springfield on my side. My son and I jumped into the car, slammed the door shut, and peeled out like Bo and Luke Duke being chased by Roscoe P. Coltrane and Boss Hogg as dirt flew from our tires all the way out to the paved road. Normally we travel this half-dirt two-track at about 10 miles per hour. That night we may or may not have hit 50 miles per hour. We anxiously and excitedly talked about our experience together all the way back home. We've spent hundreds upon hundreds of hours in the woods and have hunted almost everything possible to hunt in our area. We have never heard any form of vocalization like this before. We rarely hunt this property anymore and never alone. As a matter of fact, the last time I sat in this area was two rifle seasons ago and I heard a larger tree fall over on a windless afternoon. I retreated back to the truck and basically called it quits for the day. I live in East Central Louisiana in Washington Parish. For the past few months, I have been seeing a number of lights moving above my house. At first, I thought the lights were drones. I noticed after watching them night after night they didn't move like drones I've ever flown. I got binoculars and a spotting scope and noticed a central white RGB type light in a V-pattern small craft. I considered it to most likely be an alien drone or possibly a military drone. Possible since I'm so close to an airport. Well, I decided one night to go outside and signal the small crafts with a flashlight. I've heard math is the universal language. So I flashed a couple sequences of prime numbers. I told my wife to come outside quick. I could see a large ship approaching from a few houses down nearly grazing the treetops. Turning and redirecting itself towards my backyard like it already knew my GPS location. I looked in amazement followed by shock and fear. It passed slowly like it was looking for a place to land. The backyard is too small and too many trees around. But it passed so close I could have thrown a baseball and hit it. It slowly passed my yard and went over the neighbor's yard and I couldn't see it anymore after. I looked up and saw about 10 same types of ships flying fast high in the sky in a sequence. Then I noticed smoke everywhere. Like my neighbor's house was burning down. Smelled like gunpowder. I looked for the source of the smoke. I believe the ship popped off smoke before it was going to try and land one street over. I realized I would have had a heart attack if it had landed. To describe them. 
large square bronze looking metal. White lights around the sides. Circle pattern red flashing lights on the bottom. My wife says she had a hard time with the glare of white lights and couldn't give a definite description. The next afternoon we were all outside and hundreds of them were in the sky. I could hear the neighbor's kids making jokes about an invasion. I saw people looking up and down the street. I called my mom and told her. She said I need help. I started to film one as it got dark. My wife and I are sitting in chairs in the middle of our lawn. One is flying over and I'm recording. The next morning before work I decided to watch the video. As usual, when I record a UFO the video isn't what was thought to be recorded. To sum it up, I recorded a UFO landing a few feet from me and a little alien next to it. Looking right at me. Now the repercussions of this lasted three or four days. Dark entities manifested in a bunch of my photos on my phone, my wife's phone. Even pictures in other unrelated clouds. Needless to say, I had to delete a lot of pictures. Alien photo editors. Please explain the physics behind that one. I was on an assignment while in Afghanistan with my six-man team with a guide. We started to enter the Korangal Valley aka nicknamed by the locals as the Valley of Death it is located in the Dara Epek district of Kunar province. The valleys are among the deadliest places on earth. History shows countless men groups and militaries have entered but never come out. Our guide refused to take us through so we went ourselves. There are stories of giants, caves, demons, shapeshifters, etc. It still gives me goosebumps. I now fast forward, back home to the United States. My group of six decided in our spare time to work the Appalachian Trail starting in New Hampshire and ending in Georgia. All told it took us seven months total to complete, with weeks in between of work, as we did not complete it all at once. We were near the Shenandoah Valley area. We made camps, set up three tents, made a fire, and cooked dinner after dinner at about 19 hour or 7 p.m. Three of my men, call signs Voodoo, Panther, and Deuce sat in a circle and talked. Two others Dingle and Reaper did perimeter watch. The camp perimeter was not far away due to the steep terrain. I would guess both sides were about between 25 and 33 degree angles. None of us could see how far up it was. It was too thick with trees and undergrowth brush. It was dusk when we made camp. I went to rest in my tent as I had the next watch. I heard all three of my guys say what WTF just as I heard a loud thump on the ground and then another. Now all of us are expert marksmen and well trained to instantly assess any situation, draw our weapons, sight, and threat, and decide to engage within a fraction of a second. We trained for this. As I exited my tent unarmed I was the only one not carrying a weapon other than my 7-inch serrated double-blade knife, K-Bar. As I stood up outside my tent all three men, plus now the other two men, were standing with weapons drawn. Instantly, they started firing at this 10-foot-tall creature that was about 12 feet away. It was head to toe, a very reddish-brown color hairy creature. It had an ape-like face and large red glowing eyes looking right at us. The growling was such a volume it reverberated in my rib cage. It was like nothing like I had ever felt before. 
There was a horrible mix of skunky and sulfur odor. It made our eyes water. It then began running with long strides that no human could do. It was like a blur as it passed through the edge of the camp. Then it let out a loud woman-like shriek as it turned and went down that very steep ravine into the darkness of the night. All the while it snapped two trees off about eight feet off the ground while it descended into the ravine. After it was over everyone rushed to the ravine edge, but it was gone. Now our guns don't miss especially at that close range. No freaking way. Here's the really bizarre part. At daylight, since no one slept after that, we were all locked and loaded waiting for another attack. We looked for blood tracks. There was no blood, only two large barefoot prints. About 50 rounds were emptied into this creature at short range. Again, we all just said no way, that's not possible. Down the ravine, about 25 to 30 feet, were the two snapped off trees which we guessed were between 4 or 5 inches in diameter. We broke camp and continued on the trail southward. We're about 12 kilometers and begin to believe that this thing was shadowing us from above. We couldn't see it, but we can certainly hear it. Maybe it was another one, who knows. We all discussed it at great length and surmised it was obviously some man-like creature. We never discussed it again. That night is etched in my mind along with that unique odor nor will I ever forget the unique growl and shrill sound it made. On December 25, 2016, I went to bed between 9 p.m., 10 p.m. PST. I live in Laguna Hills, California. At approximately 3 a.m. PST in the morning, I was awoken by a commotion in my bedroom involving my wife and daughter. I didn't investigate the matter and tried to return to sleep, however, my young daughter and wife failed to return to the bedroom. I got up to find out what happened. I found my wife and daughter going to sleep in my daughter's bedroom. My wife briefly explained to me our small dog who originally went to sleep with me pooped on the far side of the bed. When my wife and daughter got into bed, my daughter got it on her leg. My wife cleaned my daughter and semi-cleaned the sheet. We have a very small dog, under 5 pounds, so we're not talking a lot of waste. Anyway. I went back to my bedroom and changed the sheets because I could still see a little of the dog waste. I then told my wife she could return to bed with me but she was too tired to get back up so I let her be. Well, I am a light sleeper so it was hard for me to fall back asleep. I want to mention I wear a sleeping mask to bed at night and take magnesium before going to bed because both help me fall asleep faster and have more sound sleep. I have had sleeping problems my whole life. I turned on the TV and watched it for about one hour before becoming sleepy again. When I fell asleep I had a vivid dream that bothered me and I suddenly awoke. It was still dark outside and I was lying on my left side. I was thinking about the dream when all of a sudden I felt static electricity all around me. At that moment I knew they were coming. I started to roll over onto my back as the static electricity grew stronger but I also began to feel paralysis in my body. It felt like I was moving in a giant jar of molasses. I was just able to begin to turn on my right side before I was unable to move any further. My right arm and hand were hanging off the bed. I then realized I could see through my night sleeping mask. There was no color, 
Everything looked blackish gray and very fuzzy. It was like I was seeing the static electricity. I then saw a small brownish gray being no more than five feet tall materialized through my bedroom wall on my right side. It was then standing right through my nightstand and in front of the light fixture. I remember thinking how diminutive in size he was. He then grabbed my right hand which was hanging off the bed and squeezed it. I then heard a voice inside my head saying, yes, we are real. While he was squeezing my hand I felt a sudden sense of euphoria, excitement, and elation. I then communicated back to him using my thoughts and I said, hi, my name is. As soon as that the event was over. The being left through the bedroom wall and I remained paralyzed for a little while longer. The static electricity in the room started to dissipate too. I was in such a state of shock, I couldn't believe it. I sat up in bed not knowing what to do. I laid back down because then a deep comfort overtook me. I felt such a great sense of satisfaction because I now knew in my heart and mind that I was going crazy and that others I knew weren't going crazy too. I had been given peace of mind. I went back to sleep having another vivid dream which I still remember. I then awoke around 8.30 am. PST. My wife was still asleep but she awoke a short time later and I told her everything. I was expecting her to tell me it was a dream but she said the exact opposite. She believes our dog sensed something was going to happen and that's why it went potty in our bed. Our dog whom we've had for 7 years has never done that. She also mentioned our dog was acting very strange the night before and we thought she was getting sick or eating something bad. This ended up causing my wife and daughter to sleep in another room which left me sleeping alone in the bedroom. The next night I had a vivid dream of awakening, laying on my left side and completely naked. Everything was fuzzy and my vision was somewhat blurry. My first thought was oh my god, I can't believe this is happening in my house but then I noticed I wasn't lying on my bed. I then noticed a small alien whose skin appeared brownish gray, like a grocery bag, on my right side. I was lying on the very edge of a table. The alien had his left hand on my right shoulder and his right hand towards my feet. His head was turned towards my feet and he was slightly bending over me at the same time. At this time I noticed a feeling of deep discomfort in my lower back and buttocks area. But I couldn't move or say anything. Right at this moment, the alien somehow knew I was aware, awake and turned his head towards me. We were looking eye to eye. Next thing I know, I'm awake in my bed and it's early morning and I can see blue sky out the window. I told a close friend who advised I should look for any strange marks on my body. I found two parallel marks on my left so I took pictures of both my knees. The marks have faded since then. I don't believe I can no longer doubt everything that has happened to me and that continues to happen to me. I am just happy knowing I don't have to torment myself every day wondering if I am insane or not. On Tuesday afternoon of this week, a few minutes after 6 o'clock, I noticed from my window a very peculiar, solitary, vapory object in the heavens. Its position was about where the constellation of the Dipper would be at that hour, viz, due north, and 35 degrees above the horizon. In magnitude and contour it in a marked degree resembled a human form, head, body, and nether limbs, 
the body and limbs robed in shadowy drapery. The head, which was of brighter luminosity on the crown and forehead, had thick flowing hair, and the whole figure was extended horizontally, with the head eastward and the front downward. But there was another feature quite as marked, and that was an appearance as of wings projecting upward and backward from the shoulders, and these in due proportional extent to the body and limbs. This last-named feature gave the entirety the appearance of an angel. Flying in mid-heaven, considered as a cloud, it was remarkable that it kept the same outline continuously, which is uncommon in those vapory objects, while I had it in view for a considerable time, as it progressed swiftly toward the east. The luminosity of the shadowy angel was of a golden white, and it presented a very beautiful appearance against the blue background of the sky. In addition to the startling outline of the object, the interest in it was greatly increased by its being at the time the only one visible in the whole northern heavens, except some low-lying black clouds on the horizon. I called the attention of several persons to it, one of whom discovered himself the resemblance I did. Query. Was this a presage of a coming event? It reminded me of the words recorded in Mark 13, 27. Then shall he send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, and those in Daniel 9, 21, Gabriel being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening ablation. One day last week a marvelous apparition was seen near Coney Island. At the height of at least a thousand feet in the air a strange object was in the act of flying toward the New Jersey coast. It was apparently a man with bat's wings and improved frog's legs. The face of the man could be distinctly seen, and it wore a cruel and determined expression. The movements made by the object closely resembled those of a frog in the act of swimming with his hind legs and flying with his front legs. Of course, no respectable frog has ever been known to conduct himself in precisely that way, but were a frog to wear bat's wings, and to attempt to swim and fly at the same time, he would correctly imitate the conduct of the Coney Island monster. When we add that this monster waved his wings in answer to the whistle of a locomotive, and was of a deep black color, the alarming nature of the apparition can be imagined. The object was seen by many reputable persons, and they all agreed that it was a man engaged in flying toward New Jersey. About a month ago an object of precisely the same nature was seen in the air over St. Louis by a number of citizens who happen to be sober and are believed to be trustworthy. A little later it was seen by various Kentucky persons as it flew across the state. In no instance has it been known to alight, and no one has seen it at a lower elevation than a thousand feet above the surface of the earth. It is without a doubt the most extraordinary and wonderful object that has ever been seen, and there should be no time lost in ascertaining its precise nature, habits, and probable mission. That this aerial apparition is a man fitted with practicable wings there is no reason to doubt. Someone has solved the problem of aerial navigation by inventing wings with which a man can sustain himself in the air and direct his flight to any desired point. Who is this adventurous flyer and what is his object? Are questions of immediate and enormous importance. Of course, the first impulse of the unreflecting mind will be to exclaim that the mysterious flyer is an aeronaut who has invented practicable wings, and is secretly experimenting with them before making his invention public. 
This is directly at variance with the known habits and customs of aeronauts. Had any aeronaut invented a pair of wings he would have advertised, long before his invention was perfected, that he was in possession of a machine wherewith to make an aerial voyage to Europe in 24 hours, and that he was prepared to exhibit it for a few weeks to every one who would pay 50 cents to see it. A little later he would have taken up a subscription to pay the expenses of his proposed voyage in the interests of science, and would probably have published a book on the science of aeronautics. Then he would have suddenly disappeared, taking his wings with him, or accidentally burning them, and after the first outburst of indignation on the part of a swindled public would have been totally forgotten. This has been the invariable practice of these ingenious aeronauts who have claimed to be the inventors of balloons or other apparatus capable of navigating the air. That the mysterious flying man has not followed this custom makes it perfectly clear that he is not a professional aeronaut. Beyond any question, either the flying man or some scientific person at present unknown has invented the bat's wings and frog's legs with which the flying man now sails through the air. Why has not the inventor patented his invention and had himself duly written up by the press? The reason is obvious. The flying man is engaged in some undertaking which he cannot safely proclaim. In other words, he is an aerial criminal, a fact which explains the cruelty and determination visible on his countenance, and what can be the nefarious object which this probable wretch has in view. It cannot be simply theft and robbery for it would manifestly be impossible for him, in his flying costume, to perpetrate burglary or highway robbery, or to pick pockets. It cannot be plumbing, for obvious reasons, neither can it be the sale of books published by subscription only. Yet the flying villain must have an object, and we have a right to assume that only a peculiarly nefarious object could induce a man to fly to New Jersey or St. Louis in hot weather and without an umbrella or mosquito net. It has not escaped notice that of late Mr. Kalmage has been wandering in the West in search of entertaining varieties of crime wherewith to embellish his sermons. It is also known that he returned to this city just before the flying man of Coney Island was seen. Now, if there is a man in this country whose arms and legs are fitted to endure the muscular strain inseparable from the act of flying, that man is Mr. Talmage. He has preached for years with those graceful limbs, and must have developed and hardened their muscles to an extent which would fill every other professional acrobat with envy. What is more probable than that Mr. Kalmage has equipped himself with wings in order to study interesting types of immorality from the lofty height of a thousand feet. He has flown over St. Louis and Kentucky, precisely the places which might be expected to yield a rich reward to an investigator of crime, and he is now flying to and fro over Coney Island, preparatory to preaching a scathing sermon on the wickedness and indecencies of our bathing resorts. Here we have a natural and probable explanation of the flying man, and it is earnestly to be hoped that no one, with mistaken zeal for field sports, will attempt to shoot the preacher on the wing with a shotgun. There is not a shotgun in existence which will do any good at a distance of a thousand feet.